Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. Let's pray together once more. Heavenly Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. That you would remind us, for those for whom this is the first time, to inform us about what discipleship is, why it matters, and how all of us are called to invest. I pray for those who feel as if they're on the fringes at the beginning of this year. Pray that you would speak words of encouragement to their heart. I pray that they would be encouraged today to walk in your purposes. I pray for those who just feel downcast or feel like their effort or their involvement doesn't matter. I pray that you would speak truth to their hearts to show them the wonderful purposes that you have for them and how they are a part of your body. And I pray that you would give us a passion to be disciples who make disciples and that many would come to know you in such a time as this. We ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Well, one way to start thinking about discipleship is to ask this basic question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What exactly does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of fill in the blanks, thanks to all those Mad Libs I did growing up. So here's a fill in the blank for you. In the Bible, the followers of Jesus are called Christians, believers, and disciples. But how many times? Before my big reveal, we might think that those numbers would be fairly, you know, well evened out. Like, they're called Christians and believers and disciples, you know, an equal amount of time. After all, the word disciple is not one that we use quite often. But we might be surprised that this is the case. The followers of Jesus are called Christians only three times, believers 15 times, but disciples 235 times. Now, it is obviously vital for us to understand what a disciple or discipleship means if it is so important to the Bible, if it is so important to Jesus. Now, this word disciple is actually not unique to Christianity. A disciple is a word that was used to describe different kinds of people throughout history. A disciple basically means this. It's a person who follows another in order to learn from them 
that they might become like them. Now, in that sense, everyone is a disciple of someone. The most obvious example is to take you back to your formative years when you were teenagers, when we were easily impressionable, and we tended to reveal very publicly the types of people that we followed. Now, if you looked at my teenage years, I'm really thankful to my mother that there are no digital era um, photographs available for you to see. But it would be very clear to you that Tim Chaddock was a disciple of particular musicians. I made it very public. In the, your imagination's going wild. <laughs> I made it very public. I was all about it. You could tell what and who I was following by the way that I lived, the priorities I had, and yes, how I did my hair. It was all there in those photographs that are burned forever and you cannot see them. But of course, this extends into your adult years. The business people, the, 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 the leaders, the co-workers even, the, the bosses or family members or friends that you look up to, you aspire to be like them. In that sense, everyone is a disciple. But it is also true then that everyone is making disciples. Because whether you realize it or not, you are influencing others. You're being influenced by the people you follow, and you are influencing the people who follow you. With that in mind, we come to Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus began his public ministry, he began preaching the good news and called for people to follow him, to trust in him, to be his disciples. He was then crucified publicly, but he rose again on the third day. But before he ascends into heaven, here in Matthew 28, he gathers together his followers and he gives them a job. And that job is to make disciples. Now, what does it mean in the church? Because for Christians, the term discipleship has come to mean different things to different Christians. What do you think of? when you hear the word discipleship. For some, you might ask, is discipleship about maturity? That's how a lot of Christians think of discipleship. They think of it as a very specific program or a very specific set of relationships. Maybe you hear the word discipleship and you think of deep dive, early morning conversations with one exclusive person where you read through 30 chapters of the Bible in a month and memorize at least 10. So you say, are you being discipled? You often think, am I meeting up with one person regularly for coffee? Am I being discipled? Is it about maturity? Is it about going deep with one particular person? Well, some might say, well, no, that's not what I think of when I think of discipleship. I think about mission. So is discipleship only about maturity, going deep with certain individuals, or is discipleship about mission? In other words, when some Christians hear the word discipleship, they think of evangelism. You got to hit the streets and hit your social media feeds with the gospel message for unbelievers. So when this type of person hears the question, are you making disciples? They think of mission. They think of evangelistic efforts. So which is it? Is discipleship about maturity or is discipleship about mission? 
Well, the answer, I hope, is fairly obvious. And I want you to see from Matthew 28 that the discipleship is about both. It is about both. And it always involves more than just one or two other people. And that's what we're investing in as a church. So what is discipleship? How is it that we invest? And how is it that we can be confident that it will work? I'd love to spend a few minutes thinking about this. And the first point is this. If we had to summarize, discipleship is about knowing and showing Jesus. That's what discipleship is about. Here in Matthew 28, Jesus had, of course, already claimed authority in his ministry. He's the son of God. He taught with authority. He worked miracles with authority. But in light of his rejection by the masses when he was crucified, he now, risen again, reaffirms his authority with fresh perspective for his followers. He had conquered death, showing that his sacrifice was perfect and all that he said was true. And with that in mind, he says these words in verses 16 to 18. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to go to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is not a new authority that Jesus has. It is a vindicated authority. Jesus begins by reminding us of who he is. And it is in light of who he is that he gives us a mission. Verse 19 and 20. Therefore, in light of who I am and what I've done, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This passage is often referred to as the Great Commission. Well, what exactly is Jesus commissioning us to do? And I want you to notice something here in the language that Jesus uses, which should be clear in English, but it's particularly true when you look at the original language. There's actually only one command in this sentence from Jesus, and the rest are supporting verbs. We're going back to elementary school. This is fun, right? Welcome to church. The main command is not, as is commonly thought, go. That's not the main command in the Greek language. The main command is make disciples. There's a subtle but important reason I mention this. When I was in Bible college um, over 20 years ago, um, it was an age in which there were some pretty historically classic Christian t-shirts. A lot of them would like borrow from like a particular brand, like instead of Sprite, it was Spirit. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'll stop there. But there are some great ones. I think Reese's peanut was a like king of king. I can't remember. But one of the popular shirts, at least on my Bible college campus, was what part of go don't you understand? Kind of like sassy but biblical, you know. Like the idea is that every Christian needs to go to the nations. Like you need to go. What part of go don't you understand? Which is a play on what part of no you don't know. You guys get it. So the, the emphasis there on is, is in the going. 
But there's a slight misunderstanding there because the main emphasis of Jesus here, the only command in the original language is not on go, it's make disciples. And you do that, and here's where the supporting verbs come in, you do that by going, baptizing, and teaching. So, this is important. We are called to make disciples. Well, Jesus, how do we do that? And how are we doing that as Reality Ventura? If you've been coming here for a long time, or you just started coming here and you're wondering if you're a Christian, you're like, does Reality Ventura do discipleship? I'm not sure if they do discipleship. Am I being discipled? Am I making a disciple? Well, this is so helpful that we have these words from Jesus. Make disciples. How do we do that? Well, first, we go to anyone and everyone from all the nations. Now, this certainly means evangelism. That, that is, introducing people to Jesus for the first time is absolutely a part of discipleship. We might even call it the first stage of making disciples which is being intentional about sharing the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done with all the people around us. We as a church, we invest in evangelism. We want our services to be evangelistic. We want to train and equip people for personal evangelism. We want to send people to the nations for evangelism. We want to introduce people to Jesus. Discipleship is about evangelism. But of course, it doesn't end there. People must not only start, they must also continue with Jesus as a follower. And this is captured in the next word, baptize. So the command is make disciples. Go to anyone and everyone from all the nations, baptizing them. When you hear the gospel, as I remember hearing the gospel and receiving it, I understood in that moment that I was fallen, I was sinful, I had a debt I could not pay, and yet I knew that I was loved, that Jesus had came, he died on a cross for me, he rose again on the third day to give me new life, and when I trusted in him, I was brought into new life. I was forgiven. And then that was demonstrated when I publicly got baptized. Baptism is an act commanded by Jesus. The phrase we often use is baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. It's you publicly identifying with Jesus. And by the grace of God over this last year, even with all the craziness and not knowing how we were going to do services and all that, we are glad to report that 65 people or more got baptized in this last year. They made a profession of faith to Jesus and they publicly identified, yeah, we can praise God for that. That's amazing. <laughs> Lives were changed. Many of you were there to celebrate and to watch those people get baptized. But of course, physical baptism represents something greater. We are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We are baptized. We are immersed. That's what that word means, baptized. We are to be immersed in the life of God. So Jesus says, go to anyone and everyone from all the nations, baptize them. That is when they make a profession of faith, you actually baptize them in water, but you're also to immerse them into the life of God. How do we do that? Well, he gives us the third verb, teaching. Go, baptize, teach. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, Jesus says. So this gives us a better understanding of discipleship. 
Discipleship means introducing people to Jesus. But it also means being intentional about investing in people who are already Christians. So this might be a simple, but it's a very important point to make. Discipleship is not only or exclusively referring to mission or maturity. It is referring to both. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ has a responsibility to know Christ and to teach what they have learned to others. You could argue that at its core, disciple-making is about teaching. So, investing in discipleship as a church, we have a huge emphasis on teaching. So, think about this. There are many ways we do this. There's formal and there's informal times of teaching. There's public teaching and more small-scale teaching. It is obviously the, the responsibility of the, the elder pastors in the church to, to preach the Word of God publicly. But other people also have the gift of teaching and are to use that in the community. So think about this. Are you being discipled? You are being discipled right now. Joining us and gathering together on a Sunday to hear the Word of God preached is a part of your discipleship. Discipleship is not like, one little classroom inside a larger building that you go into. Discipleship is the whole building in which there are many classrooms. So part of your discipleship is worshiping together on Sunday. We learn together. That's part of our discipleship. Joining a community group is also a part of your discipleship. As we dig deeper into the Word of God and seek to apply it to our lives and relationship and praying for one another, that is a part of our discipleship. When you go to an equip class, like men, you might go to the equip class this, this month. I hope you do notice that we tried to lure you in with a taco truck. I noticed that in the announcement, like, and if you don't want to come, we have a taco truck. And everyone's like, I'm in. I'm registering now. This is a part of your discipleship. For the women going on the women's retreat coming up in two months, that is going to be a part of your discipleship. When you come to a corporate prayer meeting, that is part of your discipleship. When you're meeting with one another, one-on-one, -on -one, yes, including coffee, also a part of your discipleship. At least I view coffee as a part of discipleship. Just want to give you guys permission. I'm not addicted. I'm just in a committed relationship. Um, this is all a part of your discipleship. Teaching, learning, this kind of teaching is a part of shaping you as a follower of Jesus. But there's another sense in which this goes just beyond hearing and understanding biblical truth. Notice Jesus says to observe, teaching them what? To observe all that I have commanded. Jesus not only said to teach audibly, but to encourage them to obey and to do all that he has commanded. This goes beyond just hearing the word of God. This goes beyond just intellectually affirming Christian truth. That's a part of it, but it goes beyond it. The New Testament book of James says that we must be careful that if you're a Christian, you are not only a hearer of God's word, but what? A doer. That we put into practice what we have learned. It's good that we study and we understand, we know the meaning of God's word, but that must work itself out in the way that we live. Take this for example. I tell my daughters, daughters, 
go and clean your room. And just imagine for a moment, my oldest is like, oh, she goes to her other sister's like, so go in dad's original language, like go and clean your room. So the command is clean your room. The way in which we clean our room is by going. And then my daughters come back and like, like dad, we've understood what you said. We can even quote it back to you in Greek. Go and clean your room. I'd be like, great. Where am I going with this? They also had to clean their room. Right? Like, it's, it's about knowing, it's about affirming, it's about understanding, but then you've got to actually do it. And there are too many times in which we as Christians, we think that just because I learned it, and by all means, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts through the hearing of the preached Word of God, but the result of that work translates into us and the way that we live. It's by learning, and it is by doing. So when Jesus says, go and and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, we're not just to tell people about Jesus and to teach gospel truth. We are also to show other people what it looks like to follow Jesus. We're to bring in the teaching of the gospel into every circumstance of life. This is actually an echo of the Old Testament instruction given way back in the book of Deuteronomy when the Mosaic law was given. Hear the words from Deuteronomy chapter 6. All these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The teaching was meant to to saturate every aspect of life from the most extraordinary all the way to the most mundane. We are to hear and understand and be changed by the word of God and then we are to help one another put it into practice. Because one of the best ways you learn is not only by hearing, but by watching. When I was a new Christian, I didn't, you know, I was like kind of fumbling my way through being a new Christian. And this one particular guy invited me to a a prayer meeting. And I went to this prayer meeting and I didn't know anyone. And most of them were at least 20 years older than I was. But I didn't care because I was so stoked just to know another Christian. And even though I didn't really know how to pray publicly, I learned in those early days by listening to them and how they prayed. So not only was I shown biblical truth about prayer, I watched other people pray. So that's why I say when you come and join us in a prayer meeting at Reality Ventura, you're actually getting discipled in prayer. You are influenced by and shaped by the way in which other people model for you. We are to make disciples. To be a disciple maker is to help model to other people how to deal with the daily issues of life as a follower of Jesus. This ultimately begins with Scripture, but it works its way through into relationships and experience. We invest in this as a church. Look at all that's happening in the life of the church in Reality Ventura as an investment in discipleship. But that leads to my second point. Discipleship is an investment we make together. We invest in discipleship together. Notice, who's in this scene? And how does Jesus commission them? The first thing that I notice is that discipleship is for everyone. Yes, even you. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. Notice the detail. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. That's a fun little detail that Matthew records for us. It would have looked all like nice and, and like, you know, with a little bow on it if it just said they came and worshipped. Oh, what great followers of Jesus. But it also tells us that some of them doubted. Here's why I mention that. Jesus calls together a group of broken, messy individuals. Some worshipped, others struggled with doubt. But Jesus still commissions them to make disciples. Here's my point. Discipleship is not for special believers. Discipleship is for every believer. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care if you got saved yesterday. Guess what? You get to make disciples. We all have something to learn from you. And you have something to learn from us. See, I fear that many of us, we hear the word discipleship and we think it's only for like an elite set of Christians. You're like, someone asks you like, hey, are you into discipleship? No, I'm only like a tier two Christian. Like, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. Maybe, you know, I aspire to be into discipleship. Maybe in like five years and if I go through a couple courses and I make sure that my Sunday attendance is like, like at least 95% of the year and that I'm a part of that 82% of the church that gives, maybe then... I can disciple someone. I don't know how it's come to be that way. But discipleship is not for special believers as if you have to have a particular level of knowledge and maturity to be qualified to then invest in another person. If you've been saved for a minute, you're a disciple making disciples. I mean, if you need an example, one of the guys in this group, his name is Peter, and he was a fool at times. Even though he like wrote New Testament letters and went on to be one of the leaders in the early church, you may recall his name for being famous for denying Jesus on the night he was betrayed. And yet Jesus restored him. Jesus forgave him. And Jesus sent him out to make disciples. But we live in a culture that doesn't have grace like Jesus. Man, if cell phones existed in the time of Peter and Instagram existed, I doubt that Peter ever would have made it to Pentecost. People would have been around the fire that night being like, oh, Peter denied Jesus, post it, went viral. And they're like, Peter's done. He can never make disciples again. Isn't that how our culture responds? Like, you make one mistake, you're out, you're done. But in the kingdom of God, you make a mistake, you confess, you repent, you are forgiven. You are clean. You are empowered and you are used by God to make disciples. And you can even use that lesson of your own repentance, your own confession to model it for others. You know, one of my hopes as as a parent is not that my wife and I did everything right, because as my oldest daughter will clearly tell you, we have not done that. (laughs) I hope they see us repent. I hope they've seen how we've acknowledged our mistakes and turned to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Because that's one of the best lessons we can teach our children. Discipleship is not for special believers. Discipleship is for every believer. Jesus speaks to this messy, broken community. And notice it was in community that he gave this command. Here's a little fun fact, at least for me. After Jesus was resurrected, he did not meet with everyone one-on-one. Though that's a good thing. I love it. I think we've just exclusively thought of discipleship only in terms of like, I only meet with someone one-on-one. But Jesus didn't get coffee with Peter one-on-one. 
He met with all of them, larger or smaller groups. The point is this, it takes a community to make disciples. When we hear the word discipleship, we often picture a one-on-one commitment. And usually the one person has to be like at least seven and three quarters years older than the person that they are discipling. Right? It's all part of this kind of idea that we've created in our head. And while it is good to go to people who are older and to mentor and disciple and invest in people who are younger, that's a part of discipleship, not the whole of discipleship. Listen, it is a myth that only one person disciples you. Just want to be clear. It is a myth that only one person disciples you. For example, I don't have only one person I go to to be discipled. You know what I have? You. I have a church. I have a community. Maybe I need to be discipled in my finances. Well, there's some people in our community who, you know, God has taught them a lot about that. Maybe I I need to be discipled in, you know, marriage or, or parenting or whatever it might be, witnessing. I have a church community that invests in me. We are a church community that is called to invest in one another. We all have something to learn and we all have something to teach. And there may be specific areas of your life you want to learn more about, and you can find that one particular person. That's amazing. Just remember, that's a part, not the whole, of discipleship. And we can learn from anyone. And in that sense, Paul the Apostle is a great example. The great apostle who wrote a third of the New Testament, who you would think, oh, he doesn't really like benefit from other Christians. He's probably just annoyed by them, but he writes them letters anyway. That's not the case. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 through 12, when Paul's writing to the Roman church, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Wait a minute, Paul. Some of the people in the Roman church were new Christians. Paul's like, yeah, what's your point? I can learn from them. I also have something to impart but I can also learn from them. See, friends, this is encouraging because there's no monopoly on who can disciple or who can be disciple. And this keeps us from unhealthy expectations. Please don't. This is just a pastoral encouragement for you. Please do not put the weight of learning everything you need to know about Jesus onto one person. Please don't do that. Because sometimes when men and women in the church are looking to be discipled, they're really asking, will you be my personal Holy Spirit? (laughs) I will call you morning, noon, and night about everything, absolutely everything, even after you have your notifications turned off. (laughs) Don't do that. You don't have one person. You have a community that can teach you and invest in you. To use an analogy to help you understand how that works in Reality Ventura, we like to use the analogy of highways and rest stops. We've all gone on a road trip, I'm sure. You're like going along the highway, but on occasion you've got to stop off at the rest stop for fuel and rest and refreshment in order to get back on the highway. So in Reality Ventura, we like to think of Sundays and community groups as the highway. It's the long-term journey of discipleship. You're going to get shaped by the teaching here on Sunday and as you gather together in your community groups with other men and women there to seek to apply the Word of God to one another. These are like the long-term for the journey ways in which you are being discipled. But along the journey, just like a journeying in a car, we need those rest stops. And so we have classes. We have counseling. 
We have retreats. We have connect events. We have other kinds of of meetings and, and organized efforts. Those are all absolutely important. These two are not meant to compete with one another. They're meant to complement one another. So you go to a a Bible study, you go to a a retreat, that's awesome. Take what you've learned from there, which is a part of your discipleship, and bring it back onto the highway. Sundays and community groups are regular rhythm. Bring what you've learned into those and start investing and pouring out into the men and women around you as they pour into you. Highways and rest stops. So how do we get discipled? Well, the long-term journey, Sundays, community groups primarily, those are our organized efforts, but then we have all these other ways in which we can help you and support your discipleship, and you can take whatever you learn into the rest of the body. We say that because we believe it's important to emphasize that you need a variety of people as a part of your discipleship. And they may not be people you choose. Like you go to a community group and you're like, hmm, I don't think I would have chosen, you know, all of you if it was like a a form, you know, or whatnot. But trust me, that's a good thing. Because if you only meet in a group with people who are like you, like you're probably not going to be discipled in the way that you should. We're investing in this together. They all work for the journey of discipleship. And that's why I want us to understand that our time, our talent, our treasure, even as we think of practical things in the church, we're investing it into discipleship. But we might think, well, how is this going to work? How do we know that we're going to grow? What if I'm discouraged in this? What if people have let me down? Well, that's why briefly there's this third point. Discipleship is based on a promise. Discipleship is not based on our ability or Reality Ventura's ability to get it all together and have the perfectly fine-tuned programs and opportunity. Discipleship is based on a promise. What you cannot miss in this passage is that discipleship begins and ends with Jesus. He says, after commanding and commissioning them, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That is a good promise. Jesus sends you with his power. He's saying, all authority I have, I'm including you in on that. That means that this task of discipleship before us, it's not based on your strength or my authority or my power. Jesus is saying, hey, check this out. You are in the closest possible association to the one who has all the power in the universe. Huh, that's encouraging. That's where I get the power. This should fill you and I with boldness. Some of you are on the fringe and you're not really investing in the life of the church. Jump in. You don't need to be afraid. You have the power of Jesus available. The Holy Spirit empowers you to be a witness. But notice Jesus also comforts us with his presence. Aren't we afraid that something could jeopardize all these efforts, our relationships, or even our relationship with God? We look around and we see failure all the time. But let's be clear. The two things that could ruin our relationship with God and with others is sin and death, and Jesus conquered both. And now he promises to be with us. He promises to be with us even to the end of the age. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to be with you on your good days. Religion, man-based effort, says God will be with you on your good days and he'll abandon you on your bad days. 
And that's how many of us feel. We're like, oh, I'm a good church member. Oh, no, I'm a bad church member. Oh, I'm a good church member. Oh, no, I'm a bad church member. God's not with me. Religion says God will be with you on your good days. The gospel says Jesus will be with you on your good days and your bad days. He will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He is with us. And though your circumstances may vary, and we're going to face all kinds of obstacles this this year, one thing that will never vary is his love for us. So friends, his call for you to make disciples is a call first and foremost to greater intimacy with Jesus. And that's where we're landing now. So we have this moment where we don't move on quickly to the rest of the things we have in the day. We respond in worship, prayer, and communion. Moments that will shape us as disciples of Jesus, as we choose to draw near to him right now. In what way do you need to hear this promise that he's with you? In what way is he calling you to invest? Maybe some of us have grown complacent. Maybe you're on the sideline and you're just not investing. Jesus calls you in. Maybe you're discouraged. You feel that you don't have the power. He says, I'll give it to you come to me. That's his invitation to us. Let's respond now. Heavenly Father, I pray for those here in this room or joining us online who do not yet know you. I pray that they would begin their journey with you today. That they would say from their hearts, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again to give me new life. I trust in you as my savior. I pray that they would pray that right now from their heart and be forgiven and have new life. Father, I pray for those who are on the fringe, even of this church. On the sidelines, they're not investing. pray that your spirit would speak to them. Draw them near to you and into your mission. That they too might be a man or woman who's investing in the kingdom. Draw them in today, God. May they be able to say from their hearts, God, I'm ending my complacency today and I'm going all in because I see how you are all in for me. And Father, I pray for those who just feel discouraged or they feel that, oh, I don't have a voice or my influence is not impactful. I pray that they would know this morning that that is a lie because your Holy Spirit is mighty in them. They have a place, a part, and a purpose in your body. I pray that you put courage into their hearts this morning to press into that and press on. And may you meet us as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, as a part of our formation, we don't move on too quickly into just the busyness of the day. Jesus calls you to himself. He says, I'm with you. He'll never leave us, but oftentimes we lose our awareness that he's with us. 
this moment right now is, is a time for us to respond, a time of worship. We have carpets down here in the front. You can come up here and express biblical postures of worship and surrender as we begin this new year. Let's start it right by saying, Jesus, I'm your, my life is yours. I'm surrendered to you and to your purposes. You can stand, you can kneel. Communion is available on the stage. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, I invite you to come forward, especially as we have this, this new year before us. Come and take the bread representing his body broken for you. Drink the cup representing his blood shed for you. Confess your sin and just say, Jesus, I'm all in. I want to be used by you. I want to be near to you. I don't want to be jaded. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be on the sidelines. And I thank you that you accept me and restore me. And there are men and women to my left and to my right. They're wearing the prayer lanyards. Come up and pray. Maybe you need wisdom on where to invest. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you need direction. Maybe you need healing. God wants to move today. He's waiting for you to ask. So I invite you to do whatever you got to do. Push your way past the people in the rows and just come up and pray and watch how God will speak to and answer your prayers. So let's do that now. Let's respond by adoring the one who has called us to himself and who loves us with an everlasting love. Let's do that now.